0: Warning incoming game.
1: Warning incoming game. Welcome to incoming game bonus edition. I am Ben. I am Jessica. And today we have with us a special guest, Zeke Norton, who directed Edge of Beyond and Icons, correct?
0: That is right. Episode 5 and Episode 10, Season 3.
2: Welcome, Zeke. We're really excited to have you.
0: Thank you. I've been listening to your podcast a lot
1: uh, lately. I've been going down a nostalgic rabbit hole of my <laughs> 90s youth.
2: <laughs> awesome.
1: It's always fun and strange to hear like people involved with this show that are like into our podcasts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: And honestly, it's it's strange to hear when anyone is into our podcast. So it's especially cool to hear (laughs) people who were actually (laughs) involved in the show.
0: Well, I feel like you've taken, I'm a huge podcast listener, and I feel like you've taken your format from uh, Cast of Kings, where they have one host that's read all the books of Game of Thrones and one
1: host who hasn't. Oh,
2: I haven't heard of that one. I need to listen (laughs) to that because I have read all the books multiple times.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a good, it's a good dynamic. So uh, I guess first off, uh, we wanted to ask, um, what does directing an episode of Reboot look like? Because I know you have like, the writers and the animators, but what does the director do? It's a super fun job.
0: This was only my first job directing. I had been an animator on on the first two seasons of reboot, and then uh, got the chance to direct in season three. So, Icons was the first thing I'd ever directed, and it shows. As you, <laughs>
2: um,
0: but the job of a job of the director was to uh, basically wrangle all the visuals, and so. I had a um, an edit suite that I would sit in, and I'd had a an, an editor and a supervising animator with me in there. We shared a, an office, and then I got a team of eight animators who were in a room across the. The hallway that I could just yell at. And we had to break down the script into, you know, the action into all the visuals. And then I had to direct all the animators to give me the shots that I wanted and the performances that I wanted for the show and uh, do it all in eight weeks. You know, you look at it, uh, an editing timeline and we would have like a ton of different video tracks and we would change the color of the video track going up uh, higher and higher. And so you could tell what stage a shot was at, depending on what color it was. And so it was like this Tetris screen of all these little blocks that would fall in and you could tell what take it was on or like if it was lit or whatever, until it got up to the final. And we had approved animation was pink. And so whenever an animator would get a shot approved, I would like lean out the door of the edit suite and yell down the hall, pink. (laughs) And so, you know, somebody would cheer or like somebody would be like, "Check, (laughs) check that off their list.
2: So for the performances, when we, When we talk about areas where a character looks like they're being very emotional or good pantomime or something like that. So that's what the director is doing is going in and saying, no more of this or like pull that back.
0: Yeah, for sure. And with um, computer animation, the animation process is iterative, by which I mean we do passes of the animation of each shot, which is very minimal movement and performance and so say if a character is walking across the room and you want them to say something and have an emotion and toss a ball to somebody else, the first thing you do is just slide them across the room. Uh, We call that Gumby animation because the old Gumby stop motion animation (laughs) was like none of the limbs move; they just slid around. And you do that and you're like, okay, that that makes the shot three seconds long or whatever and now I know that um, it's going to work with the camera and we follow them and now go back and now start putting in some facial animation uh, or you can put in a walk cycle um, and then send it to me and so basically each time the animators would send a test in then they would kind of get approval on the basic movement uh that they'd done and then they'd added something and then they add something and they add, add something until the shot is done which basically means we've run out of time because you could keep adding more and more detail <laughs> forever <laughs> basically
2: those deadlines they're they're helpful sometimes
0: yeah on a traditional uh, show or like uh, animated shows and and even live action shows unlike reboot they have a storyboarding process, which the director would direct uh, as well before you go into animation or um, shooting a live action show. Mm-hmm. And I listened to Gavin talking about that on the season one recap. And he it's funny, he gave me a different perspective on it because the hub chose not to do storyboards because it was um, not representative of what the, sh- the shots were going to look like to the network. And the network would get hung up on small details, you know, like how big Dot's boobs were. <laughs> and I had never worked in animation and tv and film or anything i was just kind of uh, i'd gone through film school to learn computer animation but i didn't realize that you know animation techniques and rules applied to computer animation i don't think anybody else did at mainframe at the time looking back on you know now that i use storyboards in my directing and i just like man we were totally handicapped ourselves by not having storyboards (laughs) (laughs) it was so ridiculous we made up shots as we were going and didn't really keep track of them in any way. We just made up shots in the computer.
2: Oh, yeah. That's so much extra time.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. And so like on day one of eight weeks, they'd be like, OK, you've got a crew. Here's your script. Here's your voice record. Go. And so my first job would be like, OK, page one. What's going to happen on page one? Oh, look, Mars attack scene. Oh, what are we going to do about that? Uh, I don't know. Let's um, put them in a spaceship and let's, they'll fly around. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, okay, uh, okay. You know, and just, like, I just grab an animator. I'll be like, look, look, all right, I need a spaceship. Okay. yeah, And then um, uh, make it fly towards the camera or something. Okay. Yeah, all right. All right. Uh, okay. Now I need uh, uh, Matrix and Andrea and Frisket in their alien forms in the spaceship. And they're saying, ak, ak. okay, you go away. How long do you want? I don't know, like eight seconds, maybe 10, whatever. Just, just, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's like improv. <laughs> Animation improv. Oh, man. Yeah. And the animators would like then throw those shots at the edit suite and we would start to build the show. And like I say, they would throw like really primitive versions of it. Like, so just the spaceship flying up with no acting or, you know, and then we'd be like, oh man, that doesn't work. Uh, I, did I say 10 seconds? Sorry, I meant four seconds. And then we'd like <laughs> get it back. And, and this was all happening as we were animating. I can't, like, looking back on it, I can't believe we we functioned that way. <laughs> we were grommet laying down the railroad tracks before the train <laughs> went across them.
2: I was going to say, so you guys we're at the cusp of this technology so it's it's interesting that you guys were just like oh yeah we don't need storyboards now (laughs) i know we were
0: so full of ourselves we thought we were (laughs) going along you know bursting barriers that had never been burst before and (laughs) discovering new worlds and but all we were doing was using a new tool to tell stories and if we hadn't been so uh vain about it we would have like looked at uh you know how other people had been telling stories for so along. Clearly, Pixar was learning them when we weren't. because <laughs> we thought, you know, we, we were the first CG animated television show. We're going to be the first CG an- animated film. You know, there was plans to make a reboot movie and uh, Pixar, obviously, Pixar beat us to it and and, when it, and we went to see it in the theater. And I remember watching it. There's something about this that is so much better than what we're doing. But I can't put my finger on it. Like, what is it? It's a
1: budget, I'm sure. <laughs>
0: and But really, it was down to them following the principles of animation that Disney came up with. Like the 2D animators had been using in that at some point before we got rolling we ignored like we just turned our noses up I'm like ah oh, whatever we're not doing animation <laughs> <laughs> and so all of our inspiration came from live action all of our all the way of the way we shot things and the way we framed and and acted oh man it just it so would have benefited from some squash and stretch and some timing and some antiking and <laughs> some follow through and overlap like anything <laughs>
1: well it's funny because even with toy story their first one the reason why they went with toys and like plastic toys was because they couldn't do convincing humans yet
0: yeah for sure the way that um reboot was supposed to look blocky because it was set in a computer their toys were supposed to look plastic because they were easier to make one of the technical things that just drives me crazy about watching these uh old episodes is that nobody has any eye highlights like their eyes are (laughs) so dark and there's no motion blur there's a (laughs) there's a lot of things that uh that are kind of hard to take. And I don't, I can't remember if you mentioned this in your podcast or not, but from season two to season three, season three has shadows. Season one and two don't have shadows.
1: And that adds so much. <laughs>
0: yeah. in season one and two, you couldn't tell if somebody was standing on the ground or not because there was no <laughs> contact shadow. <laughs> and uh, I remember it was actually a bargaining chip to get more money out of ABC that Ian was like oh if you want it if you want shadows you have to pay for them <laughs> and if, it, for us it was as easy as flicking a switch and so some animators were doing it because it was like oh this is really fun this looks really great at near the end of season two and uh, they got in trouble because like no 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 don't don't do that it's not free like abc has to give us like a hundred thousand dollars an episode if they want shadows we can't show that it's easy <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> And so finally, in season three, they got their you know they got more money at ABC, and then Ian was like, "Okay, everybody, flick the shadow switch." (laughs) (laughs) It's funny that you mentioned the eyes too, because that's one thing like I've been noticing is like some of the characters just seem like they're just like talking mannequins. (laughs) Yep, yep.
0: We didn't know about eye darts. We didn't know about uh, separate passes for lighting. Like nowadays in CG. You can light anything independently of anything else and one of the things that gets lit all the time independently from the body is uh it's eyes because you always no matter if you're in shadow you want to be able to see the iris and and some life there
2: that makes sense um so you worked for reboot previous to this you said you were an animator
0: yeah i started before the uh first season ever aired i was i worked on it for about a year before it aired
2: oh wow so you're with it from the beginning
0: yeah i think it was employee number five or something it was like the hub and then a couple other guys, and then I came on.
2: So one of my questions was going to be, how does reboot stack up in the history of your career? But it sounds like that was pretty formative.
0: Yeah, I it, I love it. It's got such a I have such a soft spot in my heart. The time spent on it, like you know, being in my early twenties and it being my entire life, working nonstop. Like Gavin had mentioned, you know, he has a story about working on New Year's Eve. I've got a story about working on Christmas Day.
2: Well, let's hear it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was funny. It was for Medusa Bug and. Um, most of the animators had, they'd been hired from Ontario because there was the um, Ryerson School was a much better school of, of animation than anything Vancouver had at the time. And th- there wasn't a big pool of animators in Vancouver. And so it just turned out that we had this deadline and most of the crew was going back to Ontario for Christmas and had already booked their flights. And so it was me, Gavin, Phil, Ian, and one other person, my friend Scott. And, and then everyone's like, okay, see you, good luck. I'll see you after New Year's. <laughs> And so for five days, the five of us animated, like, a whole episode over Christmas and New Year's. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I totally, I was, what, 24 or something? I didn't mind it. And, and uh, it was funny, though. Ian gave me a certificate that I still have framed that says, uh, you will never have to work on Christmas again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I show that to my, you know, when I come into a job, like a new contract or something, like, just
1: so you know. So, uh, I think we uh, both had kind of mixed feelings on icons. We both really got a kick out of the Mars Attack sequence, but I think we both felt that we wished that the intro and theme song sequence wasn't there because it spoils the reveal of grown up Enzo and Andrea. Like, was there ever any talk about putting the game sequence and reveal ahead of the intro or just somehow hiding that they'd grown up? I had a drop down shouting match with Ian over it. I was so
0: angry. Oh, wow. For my whole life, I've hated trailers, and I've been a (laughs) spoiler-phobe, and I thought that I was so excited to get the chance to direct the episode with Matrix, the reveal of Matrix, and uh, it was just the format of TV at the time, like you couldn't mess with it. You had to have your intro and then the show. And so I fought hard right until the end, until the tape was ripped out of my hands, that uh, we shouldn't have an intro or we should do a cold open.
1: Well, they did that with Firewall. They had a cold open and then a completely yeah. different theme. They didn't have the yeah. intro at all. I know. I... I don't know why. I mean,
0: I just, I just lost. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it would be so cool. And I, I went so far as to, um, to do an edit without the intro and try to sneak that uh, onto the tape that was heading down to L.A. <laughs> that's that's being And uh, when a production manager like
1: double-checked with Ian, I was like, no. Because <laughs> I think it works so much better without the intro. Like, If you just see them as the aliens, and then all of a sudden it's grown-up Matrix, and you don't know that from the That's theme. the way it was written.
0: Yeah. That's the way I directed it. It's like, yeah. It was soul-crushing. Oh, man. <laughs> no, it was funny when I was listening to your recap of it. I was like, yep. Vindicated. <laughs> Send your uh, podcast back in time. Oh, boy. And so talking about the the episode, yeah, I totally
1: agree. I rewatched it again this week in preparation for this, and it's embarrassing. I was just like, wow. And I, think, I don't think it was necessarily a bad episode. I think yeah, it might have been the shock talking for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is where we could have benefited from
0: looking to traditional animation because all of the acting gags and all of the like cartoony stuff is so slow and like half the time doesn't even read like a binome anticipating a move and then zipping off screen. It doesn't, you're like, I don't even
1: know what I'm looking at. <laughs> there's a specific scene I wanted to bring up to you about that. There's something I want you to clarify. So near the end, there's a particularly confusing shot where Matrix and Golden Boy are off fighting demons in one area. And then in another area, Andrea and the binome characters are trying to get the tooth, right? So a knight pops in, says, I want the tooth. And then both sets of characters react and are suddenly all together in the same room.
2: I think I was that was keeping that up at night
1: movie magic because <laughs> i was like wait were they there together the whole time i thought they were in separate rooms or <laughs> yeah no that's just a that's just a mistake
0: uh, which would have benefited from having storyboards the, the the fact that we were just making up the shot as they were being animated and kind of dropping them in improv style we didn't we weren't planning <laughs> we were just doing
2: so when you grab the uh when you start directing it's at this point already written yep. but how much fun do you get to have with your own creativity with it you know, obviously this one's got kind of a lot of references with like Cena and stuff, Conan. Do you get to throw some of that in like for visual gags or is that all on the animators or?
0: Uh, yeah, no, I asked the animators for that. That's all stuff that uh, we just kind of come up with the ideas. They you all know, go into the animation suite and be like, you know, what would be fun here? One of the um, Easter eggs that we threw in that I had forgotten that we threw into icons was um, some of the junk that the wise one is sitting on. There's a Nerf gun there, <laughs> which was the iconic Nerf gun that we had at mainframe that all of us had that we would go on Nerf raids from sweet to sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I had this, this style for a while in the 90s because, again, no storyboards, where I would take old movies often Jet Li and and Jackie Chan movies for fight scenes. I did this a lot in Beast Wars and just take shots from those movies and just cut them in and then go to an animator with a little sequence of like super confusing martial arts and be like, okay, Matrix is Jet Li in this shot. And Jackie Chan (laughs) is the gargoyle. Okay. And now, oh no, no, now Jackie Chan is the gargoyle. Jet Li is the, okay, no. All right. And
1: then, you know, it would sometimes work. (laughs) You know it's funny. You brought up the wise one, and we were talking about the Mars Attacks bit too. Is like one of the things that I keep noticing, especially in like this arc, is how much more expressive the binomes and like side characters are, and how stiff and like unrealistic the humanoid characters are. And I don't know if there's anything to that, or if it's just easier to make the binomes expressive and harder with like an uncanny valley thing, or what.
0: Uh, yeah, that's basically it. The binomes were so simple, um, and they're shape didn't have to change very much so with the ones um, you got so much expression and and like body language out of just changing the angle of the cubes and separating them and, and doing all this fun squash and stretch but the faces of our main characters they had to change shape a lot they had to morph they had to try to do lip sync and and they just didn't have They had about the same amount of controls as the binomes, but the binomes didn't, like you could, you could make the binomes express and be fun and do silly things with that limited amount of controls. And then Hmm. with the humanoid characters, the controls were too limiting. Like, having the, the, those few controls were like, well,
1: <laughs> that's all I can get.
0: I can only get, like, a little bit of uh, the lip going up on the side. I can
1: only do so much. To, oh, the cheeks aren't moving well. I can. Right. And at the same time, you don't want, like, Enzo's eyes pugging out of his head, like, and going, oh, you know? yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if that was part of it, too, because as soon as season three came along, the binoms like, went up so much in the amount of expressiveness and animation that went into them like they were just immediate your eyes immediately drawn to them all the laughs are just so much better because they're pulling off those visual gags so well but because they're not human looking they're able to do a lot of things that human looking characters can't do And I, i was wondering if that was part of it was you know they can They can whoosh. Yeah. Matrix whooshed. He'd be like, why are you whooshing?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. That's exactly it. I mean, they were, we thought of them as our cartoon characters. We had one animator in particular, one of my buddies, Jeff Kaplman. He sort of led the way in researching and and setting the template for what the binomes, how the binomes would move around. When we first saw what he was doing, we're like, wow, we didn't even know that was possible. The way he was pulling them apart and moving them really quickly and just Taking the geometry that we thought was solid and and changing its shape in order to get the effects he wanted, and so he kind of led the team into season three. Uh, we called it Caplimation, um, his last name. <laughs> and so he concentrated solely on the binomes. Everybody who touched binomes, he like kind of taught him his method.
2: It definitely paid off. I feel like you can you can see it very easily in this season.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. I was looking back at uh, between a Uh, Raccoon in a Hard Place.
1: Right, speaking of cartoons.
0: Yeah, and so we had brought um, a a cartoon director in to do that episode, Jay Faulkner. He had only had um, experience in 2D and none of us, nobody else in the building did. And that's the only episode really, I think, that stands out that has some nice animation timing in it. Whereas (laughs) most everything else throughout all four seasons is like, you can tell it's just computer pieces moving around in order to get places it's there's not a lot of personality there's i often fantasize about a remaster like the the writing was so good and the characters are so good and if you know we we were limited by the the technology and our experience um Mm -hmm. like i haven't worked on anything that's had as good writing as this in the rest of my career and i've you know i've directed many hours of animation since oh wow
2: Ben, you had some questions about Edge
1: of Beyond specifically? I did, yeah, just, just some little minor things. I actually really liked Edge of Beyond. I know we didn't uh, haven't released that episode yet, but I wanted to let you know that we both got a real kick out of that one. And, Good idea, uh, yeah, It was a lot more fun. The, uh, I was noticing, though, that the camera kept doing an extreme close-up of this one particular rider that has like a slit across his face. I don't know if that's his mouth, but it kept zooming in on it like it's supposed to be meaningful, but I couldn't figure it out. Like It's not the Bob one, but I know, I know that, but...
0: No, that's just the leader, if I recall. This is the first time we um, are introduced to the web writers. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he was just like, oh, look, a new creature in, in the web.
1: Okay. Yeah, I guess because it was like it kept zooming in so close, like to a specific area on his head. Like I was like, "What am I supposed to be seeing here?" (laughs) Does
2: it mean something? Uh,
1: You're just supposed to be seeing our amazing modeling and texturing at the time. (laughs) Well, it was really good. Like that was one thing that stood out to me was the environments and like the backgrounds and character modeling were like super top notch.
0: Yeah, we spent a lot of time, luckily, on on the web and on the edge of Beyond Effect. Because we, that, that was one case where we knew something big was coming and that it was going to play across several episodes, the environment and the, the look of every, everything. And so um, I was lucky enough to get an IT, uh, like a tech team working on it kind of a, a, about a month before I started the episode. Not that they were finished by the time I started, but <laughs> at least they'd had some lead time.
2: How much uh, input did you have on the idea of the web as space? Is that something that they knew going in that it was going to be, you know, nebulas and stars? and?
0: We took a picture that uh, Brendan McCarthy had drawn that basically was, we had one picture and really, he was like, oh, it should look like this. And then he left <laughs> and we're like, oh, uh, okay. And then we turned it over to our, uh, yeah, to our tech team and they, you know, tried to make that into a 3D reality. And it's funny, like thinking back that there was, kind of a distinction between the net and the web in those days.
1: Yeah, that's something I'm still, like, yeah.
0: <laughs> the web we kind of thought of as, um, like, web pages and, you know, video and so forth. And the net we sort of thought of as, like, email and kind of connecting computer to computer. <laughs> um, like, in the 90s, you couldn't get much out of the web. <laughs> and so in our minds, when we were creating these two concepts and, and writing it, they kind of were separate in our own lives um and the web was kind of more weird and exciting and and so yeah we wanted it to look crazy and alien and uh,
1: nebulous
2: that's really interesting
1: oh uh, what about uh capacitors like wraparound tattoo design do you have any info on like what that is uh not really no
0: we just thought it was a nice bit of design so when he takes his hat off uh he's bald and you you can see it it's just filigree yeah. speaking
2: of capacitor i you know i just watched the most recent episode the rub Riders in the storm and i don't know if it was something I just never noticed before or if this happened slowly (laughs) but capacitor is huge was he always that big (laughs) (laughs) I feel like he used to be binome size and like in this episode I was like oh man he's like almost as tall as Ray like he's like almost sprite size
0: yeah we um would often scale the binomes up and down depending on what we wanted for the shots we couldn't do that with our human, our humanoid characters because their uh, mesh would explode. But because the binomes were made of solid geometry, we could change their size. And so, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure my buddy um, Andrew Duncan, who directed the next episode, he tended to play fast and loose with that kind of stuff. <laughs> what did you guys think of the uh, the web server? Oh Ray! Oh, I, Ray, Ray I love Ray. <laughs> yeah. I think he's fun. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've looked it up, but but the actor is. Um, Mel Gibson's brother, Donald Donald Gibson, and yeah. so when when we were getting when I was handed the voice record because in those days I didn't have the time to go and and direct the voice records which I now do because they're super fun I always make sure I have time to go to them but back in the day they just give us the audio and uh, they're like hey we got, we got Mel Gibson's brother he's he's so awesome and everyone's like you what yeah because originally abc wanted mel gibson to play this role but we couldn't afford him so we got his cheaper brother <laughs> and so we're like wow okay that's great and then so we put it in and we were so disappointed in his in his acting it's so wooden and terrible <laughs> and i he just became you know if, if, if you're listening donald i'm sorry but all the animators scrambled to avoid doing shots with him because it was so oh, <laughs> his voice acting was so wooden and painful but i'm glad that you know you guys listening to it now it didn't stand out
2: so, some general geeky questions.
0: Who's your favorite character in Reboot? Uh, gee, that's a good question. Hex, probably. Ah,
2: that's a good uh. one. <laughs> and then I never got to direct
0: her. I was always sad. I was really sad that I didn't get to direct Episode 7. I was a huge Prisoner fan, and I loved Hexadecimal and <laughs> and uh, the scheduling just didn't work out. And uh, uh, my buddy Steve Ball, who had directed 7, had never heard of The Prisoner when he got the assignment. I was like, oh, are oh you no. serious? Can oh, we swap? Oh, man. <laughs> You take the next one, but yeah.
1: You'd be like, "Here, take icons." Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, he had to watch a
1: bunch of the prisoner. They had to mainline it over a few days. That's what I've been doing. I'm I'm about halfway through the series now.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite episode that you like to go back to see, or
0: uh, the the finale of season three? Oh
2: yeah, yeah I'm which, so excited
0: yeah, for that. Is <laughs> so, I don't know if Ben has seen it yet, but he
2: is not, and we can't we can't spoil the end for him. Yeah. Cause... So yeah. I think we've all. I think the internet has managed to not talk to him about it yet. Nice. <laughs> People have made hints. Yeah, no, so. it's,
0: it's great. And, and uh, again, my buddy Andrew uh, Duncan, who directed that, uh, he just he did a phenomenal job. And the the whole act that we're talking about, that we're not spoiling for Ben. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do they finally have sex? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, no, not that act. <laughs> <laughs> The last act is was mostly animated by Jeff Kapelman, who I mentioned before, Kaplimation, and so you'll see that the animation, especially the biomes and that, just go absolutely insane.
2: Oh yeah, the animation in that scene is fantastic. I've gone back and watched it multiple times without watching the show. Yeah, no, it's just it, because it's, it's yeah. a fun,
0: just little thing to watch, just to have. <laughs> this better it's,
1: fucking live up to my expectations. Oh, yeah, we're building You're it real. up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Trust me, if you uh, aren't spoiled by it, I don't think you're going to guess what it is. Okay. Yeah, Good. and
2: I, I think it will definitely live up to your expectations. I think <laughs> you're going to be thrilled with that.
1: We'll find out in a month, I guess. <laughs> Looking forward to hearing your recap of that episode. Right. Well, I am out of questions. I don't know if you have any more, Jess.
2: Um, nothing in particular. I'm just curious from a general sense if there's something you want to share with us about either your time on reboot or the technical aspect of your job
0: yeah, no, for sure. Um, it, I mean, it was such a nostalgia trip for me watching these episodes. I haven't seen them for 20 years, maybe. And uh, so following along with your recap has been pretty fun. And then watching these episodes in particular, I remember which animator did like which shot and how many takes it took sometimes. And when a shot came into the edit suite that blew us away, like the the late nights and being so tired that we would just laugh at anything that any animator would drop. <laughs> and we just lived and breathed reboot. And yeah, just, I look back with fondness on, <laughs> on that time. It was just, it was so much fun. And uh, I was kind of spoiled by the ambition of the show and by the levels of the, of the writing and the, and the characters and the references and you know, how Gavin talked about putting a spin on each thing and not just doing family guy references. We were, Building our own world um, that was based on the stuff that we loved, and when I moved into other shows after several years on on reboot, I was like, "Oh, not everybody cares this much about <laughs> what they're making." They're like, "It's all text and no subtext half the time." Um, so I've spent kind of the latter, latter part as if I an <laughs> old man and then I death. Man. <laughs> Lately, I've spent a lot of time like trying to get back to that depth of storytelling in my work.
2: I mean, it sounds like it was just a really good experience.
0: Yeah, and so many people cut their teeth there. Every studio I go to, it be it an animation studio or a gaming studio or a visual effects studio,
1: there's somebody there that worked at Mainframe back in the day. What else have you been working on? Like, I, I don't know your IMDB.
0: Lately, I've been in video games. So I've got a game that's releasing uh, next week, actually, called Starlink Battle for Atlas from Ubisoft and it's a space game with a to- uh, toys to life and so you put a spaceship toy on your controller and then that's like a one-to-one model of the spaceship that you're flying around in the game uh. and you can mix and match parts on the spaceships so if you want a different weapon you can like pull the pull the wing off and like rummage through your box of weapons and slap it on and it'll instantly change in the game and and so I did a lot of performance capture directing for that. It's one of the things I had a, a lot of fun with in the last couple of years, because often I'm directing animators, which is really fun, but getting on a stage and directing actors is is a whole other, whole other challenge and a whole other uh, set of pleasures.
1: Thanks for joining us uh, for this little bonus interview.
0: Oh, it's super fun. I don't get a chance to talk... Uh about reboot very often and especially with people who have like just watched it <laughs>
2: <laughs> well thank you so much zeke we really appreciate having you on
0: yeah thanks for having me it was super fun
1: game over the user wins